This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. East Shore Seawall Project, which has been referred to by some as the most important infrastructure project the borough has seen since the construction of the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, has been hamstrung by numerous delays, with the most recent hang-up involving the remediation of decades-old hazardous waste within the project area. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by public interest and advocacy reporter Paul Leota to discuss the latest delays to the East Shore Seawall Project. Thanks for joining me today, Paul. It's been uh, a busy couple of weeks and, and months, really, for all you New York politics reporters out there. So uh, how you holding up? Oh, you know, just uh, just living the life, enjoying uh, resignations and vacations and elections and everything else that goes on in New York politics. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a bit of a hectic. I mean, really, since May or June, it's been pretty nonstop between, like you said, elections, resignations, new COVID mandates. That's always fun. So we're we're hopping back into that. So you have been you have been very busy, I know, but I'm excited that you were able to take some time to speak with us today. So first, let's give the listeners some background info on this project before we jump into all those delays we were talking about. So can you tell me when this project was first announced and what kind of prompted the decision to to approve it? For sure. I mean, that is kind of a, as with most things with this project, that is a loaded question. So, um, (laughs) like, flooding problems related to storms on the East Shore date back to, like, as far as I know, at least the 1930s. Uh, My family's been down here since then. Used to be, like, a summer home situation, but there there was a couple storms in the 1930s that my grandfather used to talk about that were pretty bad. Then from the 50s to the 70s, there's a series of storms. There is a congressionally funded like research effort into a project similar to this. Uh, but then in the late 70s, the city had all its financial problems, city going bankrupt, that kind of thing. Thanks, Bob Moses. <laughs> and that kind of got put on the back burner. Uh, I think the exact word the federal government uses is that it was deferred. Yes. Then, in the early 90s, there is another series of storms that leads to a congressional feasibility study in 1993, and that is for what is officially known as the South Shore of Staten Island, New York Coastal Storm Risk Management Project, uh, but more commonly known as the East Shore Seawall. So that's a whole other layer of this, is that when we look at Staten Island on like a globe, it's what we call the East Shore, the federal government calls the South Shore. And, I mean, this goes back to, like, the early 1800s. So the East Shore was called Southfield, the South Shore was called Westfield, the West Shore was called Northfield, and the North Shore, because nothing can be consistent, was called uh, Castletown. So the actual arrangement of Staten Island in relation to, like, the map and the globe kind of affects this. But, so, 93, they approve the study there is a risk assessment in 95 everything kind of gets put on hold 
for about 15 years and then Hurricane Sandy happened in 2012. Now, Hurricane Sandy decimated the East Shore worse than any of these storms before, uh, by far. I think on average, it was like three to five feet. Normally, what people would get in terms of storm surge, but this was, and I'm about half a mile from the water. Uh, I think we had, I think 11 feet was the official tally. So it was a lot worse than what had been seen before. So then we get funding from two acts. One was taken from a bill in 2009, and another was taken from a bill in 2013. After the storm, <clears throat> feasibility studies made public in 2016, and we have since been in the design phase for this project since 2017. So, like I said, a mess. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on there. I think a lot more than most Staten Islanders know. I think a lot of people assume that this is something where Hurricane Sandy came, wrecked the East Shore, and then everyone is kind of, it's a reactionary thing, right? It's like, oh, we have to build this. We we need to, you know, bolster resiliency here. But to hear that this is, you know, something that's going back to the 1930s or, or how, you know, whenever it may be, as, as you said, it, it really puts into context how important this project is because it, it's not only those those once-in-a-lifetime type events or storms that we saw. It's, it's also something that has been a constant problem that has plagued that neighborhood for years. So now getting into the project a little bit, I know that it's it's pretty complicated. It's it's supposed to be completed in multiple different phases. The seawall obviously itself being built, there's supposed to be a levee, there's supposed to be some other um, inland drainage being built. So what exactly is this going to look like when it's all said and done? And, and how is it supposed to actually bolster the resiliency along that east coast? Yeah, I mean, I think what everybody thinks of when they think of the project is this giant seawall that will run, I think it's like two and a half miles all told, probably a little bit more actually now that I'm thinking about it, from Fort Wadsworth to about Oakwood Beach. So it's going to be a buried seawall. The project has eight contracts in total, which is being handled by the Army Corps of Engineers. So the eight contracts, there's three that are related to the seawall, then when you get down below the Oakwood Wastewater Treatment Plant, there's going to be a flood wall, which is going to run up from the beach to Highland Boulevard, where there will be a tidal gate. Now, this is all true of late 2020, but this has all kind of been thrown in flux, and a lot of that is related to, you know, what we're kind of here to talk about in terms of the latest hiccups. Yeah, and, and so let's get into some of those hiccups as you described them. As we mentioned earlier, the, the project has had numerous delays throughout the years. We are still, you know, essentially in the design phase. Construction hasn't really started yet. So when it was first announced, or when we first started really reporting heavily on this after Hurricane Sandy, we were told that the expected completion date would be in 2021, which is where we are now. Now we're hearing that it won't be completed until 2025, and that's assuming that no more issues pop up along the way, which is something that I don't think we can really uh, anticipate at this point. So can you walk us through some of the different delays that we've seen in the past couple of years? I think that, you know, when this first happened, Sandy, meaning this, there was a sense that like, well, we need to get this done. Like you said, there was that sense of urgency that can kind of dissipate in politics. But it took four years after Sandy for the actual feasibility study to be started and for the like design phase to get underway, right? So originally that's when I think we have that 2021 completion date. 
now it's taken so long for anything to get on the way that the actual completion date is estimated for late 2026. So it's even late. I just checked the Army Corps website uh, yesterday and yeah, they have late 2026 for their expected date of completion. Oof. Um, obviously, I think people who have been you know affected by these storms, including like local politicians who have represented the area for years, they just have a sense of like just real consternation, I guess would be the right word about any delay is just a terrible sign. And I mean, each delay is related to different things, right? There were delays related to, you know, actually doing the work and like getting it done. And that took the four years, but now there's new delays that are related to specifically hazardous waste remediation in Great Kills Park, well, adjacent to Great Kills Park, which this is where it gets real dodgy. And then there's also some current issues, and this is from uh, Congresswoman Malitakis, that, you know, the city is doing these separate projects related to the blue belts, but the part of the eight contracts that make up, you know, what's commonly known as the seawall includes like wetlands work, which might come into conflict with the blue belts. So there's a ton of moving parts. It's, it's not necessarily complicated, but there's just a lot of like overlap that's going on. You know, the importance of today is to say we're committed to making sure that this gets resolved. The issue is now we need the agencies to come together and do this. Uh, and, and we know that there, get, there are some bumps in the road because we've, we've seen them already. Nicole Maliotakis is the congresswoman for Staten Island and South Brooklyn. It's just so critical that all levels of government work together at these agencies. And I think that is the most important message of today is that we need everyone to act with urgency as we feel that this project is super urgent and it is for all our constituents who are relying on this to reduce their flood insurance and to provide safety for future storms. So those are the current delays and work hasn't been started on anything, but in theory, the actual, as Borough President Otto refers to it, the meat and potatoes of the project, that is the buried seawall, work on that can start without these other issues automatically being addressed, but you won't have the full protection intended through the project. Right, yeah. So can you go a little more in depth on some of that hazardous waste issue that we're seeing? I mean, this is something that people have, you know, known about at Great Kills Park for a while now. It's been closed for years. So this is actually something where it's, I know it's not specifically in the park, but it's in the area around the park, which is in the project area. And there's kind of been a back and forth of, is the Army Corps going to clean this up? Should the city be responsible for cleaning this up? What exactly is the, the issue there? So, I mean, I think the issue is tied into a lot of this issue on Staten Island, and by that I mean that a lot of the East Shore, and I mean this is true across New York City, there was a, I mean it's a centuries old like method of doing things, but it's called landfill. And people, when people on Staten Island they hear landfill, they think of like fresh kills and like the actual landfill, but the better way to think of it is that it's like a practice of filling in land, literally, so it can be used. Now, pretty often what they use is natural, like, you know, substance. So uh, a good example is at the New Creek Blue Belt, they had said they were digging up like rocks that you usually find in Central Park in Manhattan. So it's not necessarily stuff that is a big concern. It's just 
sort of a you know extra layer of work that you have to do to remove stuff but with great kills project for whatever reason in the 30s 40s and this is when it was officially city land they used a bunch of like trash and some of that trash included hazardous waste so i think some of the examples have been x-ray machines and you know things of that nature that they used that have you know radioactive elements that have contaminated the land and it's it's interesting that the only way we found out about this was because of a nypd training exercise after 9-11 that was essentially trying to get you know how will we be able to identify you know in the instance that there's a radioactive attack in new york city will we be able to identify how will we track this stuff and it was a training exercise in 2005 and basically they flew over great kills park and they're like well that's not supposed to be there you know this becomes public in like 2006 it's an issue that is being addressed by the federal government specifically the national park service and the army corps of engineer mm -hmm. in in what is officially Great Kills Park, but then the land that is needed to be remediated, that needs to be remediated for this project is, it's in this weird little sliver that's just adjacent to Great Kills Park that per like city documents is owned by the city. And then the federal government has this whole thing about, it's called CERCLA. It's commonly known as the Superfund. Official name is the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation Liability Act. So basically it lays out like what the federal government's responsible for in terms of like environmental remediation liability. Because I mean, this is costly work and it's, you can get into situations where people get, I don't want to say sick, but like it's it's not the easiest work in both in terms of safety and in terms of cost. So this act kind of lays out who's responsible for what in what situations. So that coupled with the actual contracts between the federal government, the state and the city that eventually this responsibility is meant to fall to the city. Now, it seems that most people who were involved their understanding was that the city would pay for everything with the federal government handling the work. Because the city's perspective is that like, we don't really know how to do this stuff. We don't have a lot of experience. So like, we need you. If we're going to do it once, we're going to do it right kind of thing. And that is kind of the you know, standpoint that we're at, that most parties involved want the federal government to handle it with the city paying for it. But the federal government is like, well, no, you're just going to do it. And that's that. And like we'll help you, but we're not gonna like attach ourselves to the work necessarily. That's a very long-winded way of laying out a complicated situation. No, I mean it's very complicated, like you said. Um, I, I want to touch back on something that you mentioned that Borough President Otto said that the seawall itself could potentially be built without it is not necessarily included in this area where they're having the issue with the radiation. Correct. So does that mean that this area, you know, near Great Kills Park that needs to be cleaned up, that's one of the inland drainage areas that they're building uh, as part of the project as well, and it would be possible for them to actually build the seawall without or prior to to doing that other work or is this something that needs to be done kind of sequentially where they need to clean this up before they can get going with the project so to, to get the full project done like 
it needs to be, and, and it's not so much a drainage area as it's a, a flood wall that's gonna run up in between the park and like Oakwood, essentially. And so that's what needs to be addressed. But in theory, the seawall could be built with, you know, the more inland projects going on without doing this remediation. But at the end of the day, like you don't get the full, you know, protection of the project without this remediation. This is one of the most important infrastructure projects in New York State. And it's complicated, and it's gotten even more complicated. James Otto is the borough president for Staten Island. So the governor, the mayor, Senator Schumer, our friends on the federal level in the Army Corps, Department of Interior, everybody needs a level of urgency, an unprecedented level of cooperation, so that we have a defined path and this project is not uh, delayed any further, and we get this thing built. And so actually just earlier this week, you had an article talking about Senator Chuck Schumer, who's been a proponent of this project since the start. He recently said that he received a commitment from the uh, one of the new heads of the Army Corps of Engineers or someone who has been appointed to that position. I'm not sure they've been confirmed yet. But he basically said he got a commitment uh, from them to try and get the project back on track. So can you tell me a little bit about what Schumer had to say about his conversation with them and, and where the project stands right now? To do this remediation work, the Army Corps would need a special waiver from the Assistant Secretary for Civil Works, which in the simplest terms is the Assistant Secretary of the Army who handles like this type of work done by the Corps of Engineers. The previous, or I'm guessing, well, the outgoing Assistant Secretary denied that waiver, but President Biden is appointing a new Assistant Secretary for civil works and yeah senator schumer i mean who is both motivated and has like the juice in layman's terms to get this done um he had a conversation with the incoming assistant secretary and he didn't specify as to whether the assistant secretary had committed to granting the waiver but he said that the secretary was committed to sort of getting the project back on track and you know expediting it in a way that will have it done in a much more timely fashion than were it not a commitment on the part of the assistant secretary. But yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I think Borough President Otto has put a lot of his eggs into the Schumer basket, which I mean, like I said, there is no one in Washington who has the same level of like motivation and juice to get this done. It's tough to say what the final decision is going to be. I know uh, Congresswoman Malitagas, she is of the position that it's kind of time for the city to get its own, you know, ducks in a row and get everything in order and be prepared if the assistant secretary still chooses not to grant this waiver, which to me seems like the correct position. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is riding on you know, Senator Schumer and the new assistant secretary, if he's willing to grant said waiver. Yeah. And, and so let's shift gears a little bit. You know, we, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but as an East Shore resident yourself who, who saw kind of firsthand the devastation that Hurricane Sandy and, and other, you know, such storms have brought to that community, what's it been like to, to cover this story? And, and how does it feel that this kind of project that's so important to the community has been held up by so many delays? Yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, 
my family's been here in one capacity or another since, you know, my grandfather was born in 27. I think they, my great grandparents bought like our family house in 1918, probably around then. And I mean, so these are like Irish immigrants sort of thing. And he always had stories about storms. Again, nothing close to the severity of what Sandy was. But yeah, I mean, I was in college when it happened and he was in Queens, thankfully. But we were on the phone that night and he's telling me about like, you know, I'd never seen it this bad. It was, you know, we'd had storms in the past, but it was never like this. And I remember like talking to friends and, you know, our childhood church and school was St. Margaret Mary's. And they're telling me that like these steps that are a solid 15 feet off the ground are like underwater. And, you know, that was just when I think, you know, a lot of people in the neighborhood knew they're like, okay, this is the worst we've ever seen. And I mean, that's the other thing with Sandy, too. It was very much a perfect storm. I mean, there was all these different factors. The storm surge was coupled with the exact time of high tide, and it was, which was coupled with the full moon. And it was a nor'easter and, like, the remnants of what Hurricane Sandy was. So it was all these different things that truly led to, like, this unbelievably unfortunate turn of events in terms of, you know, the storm. And, uh, yeah, when I got back, I came back a few days later. So I think it happened on a Tuesday, the storm. I was back by, like, Saturday, and, I mean, I'd never seen devastation like that. It was, you know, it's something I hope I never see again, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, I mean, to people in this community, I think there's a sense that the seawall will offer this level of protection that is needed as like we start to deal with global warming and climate change and rising sea levels and that kind of thing. So it's definitely something people uh, want to get done around here, for sure. Yeah, and I think you raise a great point there at the end that, you know, at a time where we're seeing natural disasters of all kinds, really all over the world, uh, climate change playing a huge role in that. Um, I think that this project is really probably more important than ever because, you know, we say that we'd never seen something like Sandy before. And, uh, you know, there's fear in a, a lot of people that will see something like that again pretty soon, even though, you know, it had taken so many years for a storm like that to occur. And and just the the whole experience of Sandy for for me was also just... It was strange because, like you said, I, I was actually away at college at the time. This was my freshman year, and so I was away from my family for the first time, and I, I heard that this storm was coming, and I wasn't really sure what to expect. And then hearing and seeing, you know, what exactly happened there, it really, you know, it shocked me, and it scared me, and I wasn't sure. Like, I was trying to figure out, should I go home? Should I drive back, you know, you know, hundreds of miles to go see my family to make sure everybody's okay, to, to do whatever it is? And it, it was just kind of a a level of anxiety for me not not only you know seeing that happen to my hometown but then not necessarily being there and, and being able to support throughout that and so it, it was a scary time for a lot of people and I know that this will at least uh, you know it's not going to solve the problem it's not going to protect us from everything but it'll at least level, uh, give people some level of comfort I think that if there is another major storm like that, that maybe, you know, it won't be as bad as, as what we had seen on that day. So I think that it's something that's, that's super important. And so let's actually talk about some of those next steps and getting this done. So we're figuring out the, 
the remediation of the hazardous wastes. So what are the exact next steps on that? And, and how are local elected officials feeling right now that the project is actually going to be completed by 2026 or whenever it is that they're saying now that it'll be done? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody is trying to stay as optimistic as possible. I mean, like I said earlier, when you, I mean, particularly for people who have been in government for a long time in uh, Borough Presentado and uh, Congresswoman Malitakis, when you see these kind of delays from like a government agency, you start to get a little leery that like, well, what's going on behind the scenes? Is this something that people are starting to question who are higher up? So I think that is a major concern that there is all these delays. But I mean, as of right now, I think people are just sort of pushing for a way to get everybody on the same or back on the same page. Because I mean, that was the thing about this is that so Congresswoman Mally Tox's predecessor, Max Rose, he was the one who kind of first got the ball rolling as he was leaving office in 2020. He, Senator Schumer, Senator Gillibrand, sent the initial letter to the Assistant Secretary of Civil Works at the time, being like, well, we need you to grant this waiver. Let's get this done. So there was this perception that the Army Corps was going to handle this work. Now, the Army Corps might dispute that to some extent, but enough people in like official capacities have shared that perception with me that it has to come from somewhere. Where it comes from in the Army Corps, that is a question that I have theories on, so I'm not going to get into theories. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think right now uh, the best way to do it is to, you know, have the Army Corps to some extent handle this. I think they have a level of experience dealing with this stuff. I mean, they're literally doing the same exact work 50 feet away, like not, not even a football field. We're talking, you're doing the work right here in Great Kills Park, just do this little sliver. But they're already doing this work, you know, like I said, less than a football field away. Just let's get this done. Let's, you know, give people some peace of mind as they see, you know, orange skies from wildfires on the West Coast every summer now. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just a level of concern and people just want to see it get done. And uh, I think anybody who's spent any amount of time on the East Shore, which both Borough President Otto and Congresswoman Malitakis have for a long time, uh, you know, I think they just really want to see this get done and get it done right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Paul. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. For sure. Thanks so much, guys. Did you know the Dutch first established fur trading posts on Staten Island in 1613? Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit silive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.